Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to get very granular, very technical today on this show. We're focused on best served fresh, fresh ideas, new approaches to the industry's opportunities for reevaluating, reimagining the business model. So today we have Ty McKinstry, who's an attorney with this Vicky and Langer based in Denver, Colorado. Ty, thanks for taking some time. Yeah, thank you, Jensen. Excited to be here. Yes, I was very happy to connect when Andrew Parr connected us, who's been instrumental in so much behind the scenes work with Best Served, with some of the work that we're doing on the Paragon Pillars, more to come on that, and many, many episodes, just rethinking what's possible within the industry. And we got connected because you're having some very practical conversations, some renegotiations of leases for real estate, restaurants, kind of that ecosystem. So first though, I wanna give everyone, that's what we're talking about. I wanna take people back a little bit though. Let's talk about you for a second because I want people to understand why you specifically, Ty, are passionate about this or working within this space. So give us a little bit of background on you as far as kind of your journey leading up to this. Yeah, you, you know, my background's sort of interesting in this space in that uh, I started off as a commercial real estate broker and, you know, in that space, I was working with both landlords and tenants sort of on the business side of the deals. Um, as time went by, uh, I, I bought a couple of buildings and I became a landlord and then decided to ultimately become an attorney. And so, you know, I've worked on a lot of these deals uh, with multiple hats on. You know, I've, I've done this as a broker, as a landlord, now as an attorney representing both landlords and tenants. So, you know, I, I think I have an interesting perspective on, on these leasing issues just because I've seen it from every angle. Um, you know, you know, restaurants specifically, um, over the years, we've just built up a little practice of representing restaurants and tenant rep deals, basically. So look at a lot of, uh, restaurant tenant leases, um, you know, look at maybe, you know, four or five of those a month. Um, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting space and it's an interesting time in that, you know, right now we're talking about things and negotiating things due to COVID that ordinarily we wouldn't even think of. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of creativity, um, a lot of avenues for sort of tenants to, to get a leg up in some of these negotiations. So in that respect, it's been fun. This is this is very interesting to me. Uh, I joke about this, but I think it's pretty serious if you're in a restaurant. The old moniker of location, location, location yeah. was really built around kind of traffic, right? It was sure. built around foot traffic and the creation of commerce and putting butts in seats. I've talked about, I think location, location, location is actually lease, lease, lease. The location in which you are in is very much predicated on your ability to be in a good financial situation and a good partnership. And so I talk about a lot, if if you're going into negotiation with a landlord, if there are red flags of them not finding ways to be malleable and accommodating and try and find creative ways to invest in you as a business, that's a red flag. Yet we're so emotionally attached. This is our baby. We're so right. passionate about it that we make a lot of concessions that we shouldn't. I yeah. have been guilty of that multiple times in restaurants being like, well, 
well, let's just make it happen. It's the wrong number. It's the wrong this. They're not giving us X, Y, and Z. But you know what? It's, I just really want this space. And I'm so eager to get my vision out into the world. And so I want to touch on that a little bit. When you're having conversations with your clients, and, and I want to preface that as we talk about this, we're giving insights. Ty is not giving legal advice to anybody. We will be have you get connected with Ty if you're interested. I want to make sure we lay that groundwork. When you're talking to them holistically, before we even get into the ridiculous amount of text and legalese on an actual lease, high level conversations, I'm coming in saying, I'm looking at this space. I want to get my dream of an XYZ concept out there. Slow me down a little bit. I'm sure you have to do that a lot because we're rambunctious yeah. group. Talk about that first conversation, those first couple of conversations around getting yourself into a brick and mortar location. Yeah, you, you, you know, that's a great question. And we see that a ton is, you know, somebody will show up at the law firm and say, hey, we, we found the spot. You know, it's a it's a great building. Um, these are the LOI terms. You know, I, I want to move forward. I want to get going with the lease negotiation. Yeah, tell people what LOI means. Yeah, so, so a letter of intent would be the first sort of phase of the negotiation. And typically the letter of intent would be negotiated between the tenant and the tenant's broker and the landlord and the landlord's broker. And often we see the LOI, you know, it comes to me as the attorney when it's already been drafted. So, right. you know, I'll get this document in front of me and I'll say, whoa, 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 you, you know, let's pump the brakes here a minute. Um, there are already some red flags here. Let's go back. Let's relook at some of the basics because, you know, the LOI sets forth what are essentially the basics of the business transaction, um, rent terms, um, you know, things like, will there be a personal guarantee? Um, sometimes we'll get into operating expense carve outs, things like that. And I can tell from the get go, a lot of times, whether or not it's going to be a productive negotiation from our side, just based on how that LOI is drafted. Yeah. I want to touch on this right now, because here is the dynamic at play, the psychology at play that fuels exactly what we're talking about. One of the things that we want to get around is, Lawyers are expensive. And yeah. so we are, look, we're tight, tight margin industry as a whole. We are yeah. tight on the budget. We're undercapitalized every time we go in. We're like, right. let me just scrounge together what I think is enough money. It's never enough money. And sure. so they say, okay, well, let me have them do this because you know I don't have to pay for it. I'll, I'll get all the way until it's leased. And then I'll just have a lawyer just to like, okay, mark a couple things and be like, you're fine. The yeah. problem is they are now not invested in their own success. And you now are saying, they're saying, okay, can you just take like an hour or two to do this? The reality is you can, right? not going to be the best lease for them. So when you're thinking about it, you need to really be looking at investing on the front end because usually where Ty or other law firms will come into play is when it's on fire later yeah. and it costs <laughs> you a lot more money and you're cash strapped because your cash flow is so thin. So I really want to hover on that for a moment. It is so, so important to invest on the front end. And look, Ty gets paid a lot because he's really good at his job. So invest in that. You know, you want people to pay you whatever you think that you're worth, your food is worth because you're really good at what you do. Recognize that that's an investment that's needed. So that was a huge like cosign for you there, Ty. I think it's important. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, a couple thousand more dollars will save you tens of thousands of dollars down the road and actually put you in a position to succeed. Yeah. And, and let me just piggyback on that for a minute. Um, you know, I, I think one really important aspect of this that a lot of tenants overlook is the quality quality of the broker 
that you hire. A good broker is not only going to find you good space, but they're going to add value in terms of some of the negotiating aspects that, you know, you can take some of that out of my hands as a lawyer and put it in your broker's hands if you hire a good, competent broker. So spend a little bit of extra time and hire the right guy, you know, and the right guy is not only, it's not always the guy that, you know, knows the most people or that can show you the most space. I mean, it's often the guy that understands the ins and outs of these deals in a way that they can actually add value. Yeah. And I agree with that. Some of the conversations, knowing quite a few brokers, it's interesting, the better they are at asking questions and I hold questions in high regard. I literally do it every single day. I (laughs) think that asking the right questions is important. So when you're having a conversation with a broker, are they saying I could show you this place or this place? Or are they saying, what type of concept are you doing? Why is it important that you have this size space versus that size space? Those are the questions that would be a big green flag for me saying this person is going to take the time to understand versus like their cell sheet has 17 locations and they think you fit into nine boxes. It's a very different dynamic. So be aware. I love that you gave some shout out to the brokers as well. That's an important because you work together. That's the thing. These are multiple partnerships, not transactional. You're a vendor. You're a service provider. You're a partner in this. And the more you invest in that, the more Ty doesn't have to come fix everything. And then it's going to cost you five grand. And then it's going to cost you nine grand in X, Y, and Z. So I think that's important as a high level. Anything else? Last thoughts on that before we talk about specific lease negotiation tactics? Yeah, you know, I'll I'll say that with a good broker on the tenant side, you know, I can even say in the lease negotiation, I can even say, hey, broker, I don't have time and and my client doesn't want to spend the money to have me negotiating back and forth on, you know, what are the HVAC requirements? Um, You you know, what's the build out going to be? I don't have time to interface with the engineer and the architect and do all these things. Whereas a competent broker, I just say, hey, broker, I need X, Y, and Z done. And I need you to tell me exactly what we need to get into this lease. And they give it to me and it ends up saving, you know, hours and hours of my time. So just an add on that, you know, that, that broker is a really important choice to choose wisely. Yeah. I just think for restaurant operators, ask questions, like ask questions of the process. It's so yeah. important. Understanding where you can maximize your input and output within the process is going to be so valuable. Ask questions. A lot of times we come in like a bull in a china shop saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I've opened multiple restaurants before on the you know operations side at, at the leadership level. So so I get it. I've looked at a lease. I've looked at CAD drawings. I've looked at letters of intent. I, I get it. And we do that a lot. We have a lot of bravado and ego. And again, like right. personal passion tied to this. And so we come in heavy handed a lot and say, no, 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 I don't want to pay the lawyer for six hours. I want to pay him for two hours. So I'm going to tell him what I need. And that's it. And it's just not a good tactic. It's not a good strategy and definitely not a good tactic. And so we're hovering a long time on the the holistic because I think you can't get to the lease if you don't understand the rest of the process and how you can build a team that is investing in your success. So I really appreciate that we got to talk about that for a while. Yeah. Let's, Let's get second half. Second period here. Let's talk about specific leases. There are certain parts of leases that have been copy and pasted for decades that are just matter of fact and there's no movement they are rigid we don't even know exactly what they mean but they go oh yeah yeah that's standard i hear that i get concerned and nervous let's talk about some of the different uh elements within a lease and kind of give us a, a walk through what you're looking at a few of the the specific sections of a lease and then let's talk about a couple of the sections that there's some flexibility now that there maybe hadn't been before 
Yeah, so I, I mean, one of the biggest things in, in today's leasing environment that just hasn't been an issue essentially ever is force majeure. And, you know, force majeure is the clause in a lease that basically says that if you're unable to perform your obligations due to, you know, acts of God is the broad term, that, that you'll be excused uh, for that performance. And typically it's just boilerplate. It's at the back of the lease. Uh, people don't pay much attention to it. But right now, you know, we're working on a couple of restaurant deals where the negotiation started with force majeure. And it, we essentially said that, you know, if we can get a force majeure clause in place that we like, it will give us some rent relief in the event of a government mandated shutdown due to COVID, then we will move forward with this negotiation. But, you know, if you're not willing to play ball with us, we're not willing to take on the risk here to open up a brand new restaurant when, you know, the government might tell us that we can't even be open for business. So that, that, that that's probably the one that jumps out the most right now in terms of something that, that we're talking about now that we ordinarily would not. Yeah. So let's, let's do this. This is good. We're kind of teasing people a little bit. I want to get really deep on that one to go through the okay. whole psychology and process. However, let's take a step back just really quick. Okay. First majeure, I think, is the biggest thing we can talk about. And there's a lot of other layers. When you're looking at a lease at a, yeah. as a whole, what? just take me through, you're sitting down with me and I'm going, I don't understand any of this stuff. There's a okay. couple of places where like fill in the blank, my information is there, but everything else feels like it's somebody else's lease. So talk about how you're walking a client through the lease as a whole, and then we'll go deep on force majeure. Right. Yeah. I mean, from my seat, every provision is one that you sort of would, would want to look at and review. Um, you know, anything from we often talk about delivery, you know, yeah. when is the space delivered? When does the build out happen? I think the build out is a part of the document that's really important. And again, we spoke about this earlier. I mean, that involves every single member of the tenants team. So that would be the broker, the architect, the general contractor, um, you know, the, the designer, if there's going to be a finished person. Um, so, so that's sort of the starting place is you start there and you make sure that all the timing works and that you're sort of going to be able to finish your build out. Um, you know, within that, we talk about tenant allowance. Is the landlord going to pay for any of this? Who's going to pay for it? Um, and then from, from there, we progress sort of through the lease and, and we get, you know, we talk about everything from, um, you know, assignment and subletting, which a lot of people sort of think that that's a one that that's sort of a take it or leave it clause. And I think, oh, I'm not going to need this. But really assignment and subletting is the tenant's main out. If things go bad and, you know, business isn't great, the way that a tenant's going to be able to sort of escape that lease. Yeah, and get go, some go one layer deeper on that. We don't have to go super, yeah. super deep on it. One layer deeper, exactly what that means. Their opportunity to sublet. What does that mean from an operator standpoint? The security that that creates if things don't go the way they're supposed to go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a great question. So basically the way that it works is if you sign a lease, you're on the hook for the entire lease term. A and, ten year, five year lease, a 10 year lease. You're there for 10 years yeah. Even if at year three. It's in the tank. Yep. And, and so a tenant is almost never going to get a termination right ever. Sure. So that means that a tenant cannot terminate a lease for basically any reason whatsoever. So essentially what happens is, you know, your business is failing. You're not making a lot of money. You want to terminate your lease, but you can't. So the way that you get out of it is you find another tenant, another restaurant, say, to come in and take your lease and they become sort of the tenant and you become, um, you know, you're often sort of left in this weird gray area in the middle yeah. where you're still a party to the lease, but you're not occupying the space. Um, so, so that's a big one, Jetson. That's a big yeah, one. Yeah, you, you have liability, no control at that exactly. point. Somebody exactly. else is in that space, but they can come after you for damages. Right. So I think that's an important thing. So think about that for sure. Subletting yep. is very, very important. All right. A couple more. A couple more. Yeah. Force majeure. 
You know, I, I think in today's climate, I think another big one is, um, is you know, what, what's the tenant providing? Um, you know, is there a personal guarantee? A personal guarantee is probably the most landlord favorable lease term. Yes. And what a personal guarantee is, it essentially means that, you know, if I'm the tenant and, and my restaurant goes under and the landlord comes to sue me for the rent, I say, hey, you know, my business is bankrupt. I don't have any money. So, you know, you're not going to get anything if you sue me. What the personal guarantee does is it puts the principal, the owner of the restaurant on the hook for that rent. So it means they're coming people, after your house. That means they're coming after yep. your car. That means they're coming after you. Exactly. So, so, I mean, that, that that's a biggie. And in today's climate, you know, I've, I've had a lot of calls of tenants saying, oh, you know, hey, Ty, my, you know, my business is failing. You know, I, I need out of my lease. And the first question that I ask every one of those parties is, is there a personal guarantee? Because if the answer to that is no, then all of a sudden, you know, we have some options. If the answer to that is yes, it means that, geez, we're in a really tough spot right now because there aren't many tenants that are going to want to sublease, which we already talked about. Yep. And I'm on the hook personally. So this landlord's going to sue me as an individual and gosh, who knows where that's going to go. So um, along with the personal guarantee, we, we see, you know, a security deposit is, right. is a way for the landlord to get security. Um, you know, we see um, different types of uh, provisions where like a landlord can have a security interest in the fixtures of the business. So that means that if my business fails, the landlord can, you know, take my hood and my range and my walk-in and some right. of my other fixtures and sell them to pay the debts. Um, that's another one that we see. So, so that general category of, of sort of landlord security, I call it, is a big one. And here's the thing, a personal guarantee, most restaurants are attached to a personal guarantee because a lot of times they don't have the massive amounts of capital. Yep. They just, so the likelihood of you being put in a position to say you're going to either give a personal guarantee or you're not getting this lease is very, very common in restaurants. So I want people to be aware of that. And figuring out ways to get yourself in a position financially on the capital investment side to not be in a personal guarantee is massive. You don't massive. think about it. You're like, well, whatever. I won't have anything anyway. They're coming after you forever. Right. As much money and the debt that you hold is you're personally on the hook for it. You're going to be paying that off forever. So I think right. that that's a very important thing, a distinction. Again, we make that concession. I have made that concession because it was my dream. It was my baby. It was like, it was never going to fail. And of course it did because most restaurants do. It's a ridiculously hard business. So personal guarantee, very important people. Uh, any other high level ones that are important to you? They're all important to you, I know. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times specifics of the particular building, you know, we'll get into a uh, parking, things that seem... Like you just gloss over them, but um, you know, if it's in a big building in a metropolitan area, what's the parking like? Or do you not need parking? Or you know, in in the Denver submarket, say if you're out in the suburbs, um, parking big deal. And if you're part of a mixed use development where there are other tenants, and you know, maybe there's a gym in, in the space, and that eats up a ton of parking. And so that's a big one that you know, little nuance to the property like that. Um, access, um, operating hours, things that you know. Don't seem like a big deal on their face, but every time I bring these questions up, they say, "Oh gosh, you know, like this stuff's important." So I think the takeaway is that everything is important, yeah. and you know, you just have to have somebody in your corner who walk through all those little nuances. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I just want to give people maybe a, a little bit of definition of. You you mentioned tenant allowance, uh, tenant improvements, TI. You hear that? You hear triple nets. 
cam charges. Yeah. These are a couple of things that just get thrown out and people go, oh yeah, yeah, it's $40 a square foot triple net. Yeah, I know what that means. They don't actually know what that yeah. means. I didn't know what that right. meant, but I pretended like I did. And so yeah. TI, let's start with that, triple net cam. Those are three terms that get thrown around a lot that can add up in one direction or the other pretty quickly. So what is TI? Sure. Yeah, so so TI or tenant improvement allowance is essentially um, the landlord's going to give you some money to finish the space out however you see fit. So I, as the tenant, present my plans to the landlord and they offer me X dollars per square foot to yeah. finish it, put in flooring, lighting, you know, essentially make the space what I want. Um, so that's a big one. And oftentimes there are a lot of conditions placed on when you can be repaid those TI dollars. And a lot of times, you know, it's at the end of the process after you have a certificate of occupancy, after you've built them for business and after there are right. lien waivers in place. So it's definitely important to pay attention to those conditions on uh, the payment of the TI dollars. Yeah, you you could be one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand, two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars in thinking on the front end. You didn't need to invest X amount of dollars because you had the TI. But when that distribution of TI comes, is massively important because you yep. could be a zero before you get there. Then all of a sudden, you have to take dumb money where you had smart money potentially investment on the front end because you spent time and effort and now you're $50,000 short and that's where you get yourself into trouble right there. So TI, very important. Triple net, when somebody says triple net, what does that mean? Yeah, so a triple net's just essentially how the how the costs and expenses are shared between a landlord and a tenant. On a, in a triple net lease, the tenant is generally expected to pay for on top of base rent, um, insurance, property taxes and maintenance. So those yep. would be the, the three nets. Um, so typically in a triple net lease, you'd be paying a little bit lower of a base rent figure because you're paying a lot more sort of down the road in, for those three categories. Uh, the opposite of triple net would, would be like a gross lease yep. where you essentially pay one price that includes everything. So that would include your rent, utilities, it would include property insurance, taxes, maintenance. Um, so that would be a higher rent number overall. But um, the landlord's going to pay for all those expenses. And then that feeds into CAM, common area maintenance. Yeah. Like, talk about that specifically. Sometimes that's included in triple net. Sometimes it's yeah. kind of awkward. Like it's different though. So talk yeah. about that. Yeah. So in a triple net lease, I mean, operating expenses in, in CAM are, are sort of the two of the most heavily negotiated provisions. And um, basically what that means, if the landlord's going to pass through expenses of owning the property to a tenant, you're going to want to, you know, negotiate a little bit about what those things are. Uh, typically, we say that the landlord pays for, you know, the roof, foundation, and the exterior walls. That those are landlord expenses that don't get passed through to the tenant. And and a lot of times in a triple net lease, the, the tenant pays for everything else. So, you know, if if the parking lot needs to be resurfaced, that's a tenant expense. If yes. you know a window breaks, if a pipe bursts, all those things can come to the tenant. So, I spend the most time in lease negotiations talking about operating expenses in that list of exclusions that we talk about. And, you know, I have maybe a dozen items that I put into just about every lease that says that, you know, we as the tenant are not going to be responsible for any of these things. Landlords usually come back and hit that pretty hard. And we usually end up with maybe eight or nine of them in there, but um, you know, it's sort of a moving target on that. Yeah. This is a very important thing to understand. This is where the relationship with the landlord is very, very important because I've definitely seen situations. And I've been lucky that this part of the these horror stories, I haven't been a part of personally, but where they say, okay, great, I'm gonna get these tenants in, I'm gonna position the lease, because I already know that there's a couple little potholes in my parking lot. And I know that that's going to expand because it's been 15 years since the yeah. parking lot's been redone. And so I'm going to find a way to creatively pass that cost on. And instantly your 
you're in the red for the next quarter because of a scenario like that, because you just don't have the cash for that. And they're passing that on. So being very, very aware of what the, what the can, what the common area maintenance, what that would include, what the operating expenses will include is so important because all of a sudden you're on the hook for these things. You're like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm responsible for potholes, like on the, across the parking lot where my, yeah. my, my guests never park. You are because right. it's part of a, uh, the, mixed use. So good stuff. Uh, I just want to like really quickly, I don't want to get too yeah. in with this, but um, percentage rent, you know, you hear that, well, it'll be less. Yeah. And then they're taking a, a percentage of revenue to talk about that. Where's your head at with that? Sometimes look, I know sometimes it's a good deal. Sometimes it's a bad deal. It really depends on your unique situation, but just touch on that a little bit, what people might be wanting to think about when it comes to percentage rents. Yeah. You know, we don't see it a ton. Um, sure. It definitely comes up um, it comes up on occasion. Um, you know, if you're a tenant and the landlord's asking you for percentage rent, it sometimes it's not a bad deal if you can get your base rent number lowered. Cause that way, you know, if you're doing well, you're paying a little more in rent. And if you're not doing well, you're not paying any in rent. Um, we've seen 100%, uh, the deals that are totally based on percentage rent and those deals are okay when times are tough. Cause you're not paying anything for your base rent. Um, well, one important thing is how to define gross sales and you have gross sales reporting. Um, there'll be a lot more landlord oversight um, just in wanting to stay on top of your books and, and knowing exactly what those sales look like. So for some tenants that aren't as organized and they don't pay attention to the nitty gritty, that can be annoying. I mean, they don't like big brother watching over them and, you know, wanting a sales report for every month. Um, so yeah, a couple of considerations there. Again, we, we maybe see that on like 10 to 15% of deals. Um, so not a lot, but, but it's definitely out there. Yeah. And I, I do think you're going to see at least the conversation about them more often, uh, as, as we're rethinking the model. And also you see a lot of like, uh, uh, shared use spaces. You see the models of food halls, things like that, yep. where yep. there's the potential, the, the, the time that I think that there's value in looking at it. Cause most of the time I think you, you eat what you kill. I, I very yeah. much think like be an abundance mindset and you should be able to crush that number and then some. I do like when there is a marketing apparatus within the landlord to be able to then utilize that channel. If you're not great at marketing and they potentially are and they putting butts in seats as part of them creating more revenue for them versus it just being a security blanket that allows you to like be okay in tough times. I, I don't like the scarcity mindset, but if there's a marketing channel, that's where I kind of go into yeah. that. There's an opportunity there. So force majeure. This is when you said that there was movement on force majeure. I was like, no, yeah. that's like that's just something you're telling. You're you're telling me a tale <laughs> right now, but because yeah. I've never seen that, I have never seen one letter or a comma be shifted in force majeure in 20 right. years in the industry. So yeah. let's get into that again a little bit because force majeure a huge opportunity in a challenging time like this. Because the idea of a second round of uh, shutdowns, we see it happening in, in Texas right now. Yeah. Like you're negotiating lease right now thinking that you're past the shutdown stuff. I don't know that you are. So let's talk about force majeure. Give us again, in case people are just popping in right now, force majeure, what is that? And let's get into how people can negotiate and navigate that section of a lease. Yeah, sure. So force majeure uh, generally states that um, if either party to a contract is prevented from performing their obligations due to some event or circumstance beyond their control. So, you know, these are widely known as acts of God. So it would be, you know, weather, strikes, 
civil disruptions, um, you know, in, in this case, yeah, virus pandemic, yeah. um, that th a party can be relieved from performance of their lease obligations due to that. So the catch and the nuance to it is, you know, when, when COVID first hit, my phone was ringing off the hook and people were saying, oh, you know, you know, I, I have to shut down my business because there's a stay at home order in effect, but um, it's okay because I have force majeure so I don't have to pay rent, right? I said, you know, whoa, not, not so fast. Um, just about every force majeure clause um, will we'll have a little part of it that says, you know, um, th this only applies to non or non-financial obligations. So the obligations to pay rent are not excused by force majeure traditionally. So what is excused? I mean, continuous operations is a big one. So if you're in a retail space, you probably have a clause in your lease that says that you have to remain open during normal business hours, seven days a week, you know, every day of the year, except for holidays. That's the type of provision that would be excused due to force majeure, but very rarely in the traditional sense would force majeure include the payment of rent. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never seen it, especially in a restaurant lease whatsoever. So where now is there a, a little crack in in that yeah. uh, in that clause? So you know we've we're working on three restaurant deals now where we yeah. have force majeure clauses in place that again we worked at right out of the gate. The first thing we did was talk to the landlord about force majeure because we were worried about the second wave. Um, and essentially, where we at now are on a couple of these deals is that if we are forced to shut down our business, or you know, and, and there are multiple multiple variations of that, right? So it could be. If we're forced to totally shut down, if we're forced to reduce capacity, yep. if we're forced to do takeout only, you know, there are very different scenarios in which this plays out. But pick any one of those and say, you know, for the period of time that that governmental regulation is in effect, our base rent will be abated um, and deferred for the period of that restriction. So basically what that means is government says we have to shut down for the period that we're shut down as a result of that. We don't pay any rent. Right. We, we don't pay anything to the landlord. But then once we reopen, the amount that would have been payable during that term of the shutdown is then payable over the next 12 months. So what it does, it buys you a little Got leeway to, to stay afloat, but the benefit to the landlord is they're eventually going to get that money back anyways if, if everything goes to plan. Got it. And split equally. So you're down for three months. You take your rent for three months. It's $5,000 a month. You're paying $15,000 over yep. 12 months is what you're doing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, that, that's what that's one way to work on it. Another sure. way would be a straight up abatement, which would say, "Hey, we can't pay you anything. We're going to go belly up. We just want our rent for this period excused." I mean, that's the starting point, and most landlords wouldn't go for that, but we've sure. seen that fly. Um, you know, there are all sorts of different ways to structure that, but the rent deferral, where you're taking the money that you would have paid and just delaying it to a later date, that seems to be sort of the most fair in, in the the Makes concept sense. that everybody seems to be able to get behind. Yeah, I mean, it is a investment property and investments go up and down. So again, if they are invested in you and the success of restaurants, and look, this is what I, I kind of want to just leave people with this, this thinking is restaurants, you need to look at yourself in a very different way than we have for generations, for decades. The way that commerce in America worked is that the Sears and the JCPenney were the cornerstone, the flagship of any area of commerce. And then people went to restaurants and the yoga studio and the this and the that and the shoe boutique. Now we've recognized in the last 10 years, 15 years, restaurants are the driver of commerce to almost any area, to any development, to any strip mall, mall, anything. It's become restaurants. 
And you yeah. are in a position now to think about your leverage very differently and moreover, create a partnership. Not this is what my rent is because this is what the market will bear. This is the investment that a real estate developer, a landlord is willing to make because they recognize that their brand is built on the back of independently mostly owned restaurants as the yeah. driver of attention and of revenues of commerce because the shoe shop and the yoga studio are amazing. However, their success is very much fundamentally tied to the success of those restaurants. So I want restaurants to understand that. And I know you're having those type of conversations with people as well. So there's opportunity. This is the big takeaway. There's opportunity to negotiate leases, to rethink the structure of the partnerships, to have a strong team, get the broker, get the attorney on the front end, not when you're on fire, which is usually right. the way that things happen. <laughs> Ty, this was right. amazing. I had so much energy and anxiety while we're talking because I'm hearing these things going, <laughs> oh man, I made every single mistake that we're yeah. talking about right now. Right. And we we often do because I just, I, I thought I could just figure it out and you're just right. playing from behind the whole time. So I'm so glad that you're able to have these conversations. And any last thoughts before we let you go? You know, I, I would say that um, right now is an interesting time in the marketplace. And we're seeing some tenants now that are taking some risk by trying to get things opened up in the next six to 12 months. But I yeah, think really. as a result of them putting their necks out there, if things sort of revolve with the COVID scene, they're going to end up with pretty, pretty good deals in some of their space right now. So not that I'm telling everyone to go out and start a restaurant, but, but for those who are, you know, I think there are some opportunities to really get some good negotiating points in your yeah. lease. Whatever you do, don't open a restaurant. <laughs> However, if you do, be smart about right. it. This is a crazy industry. Yet, I do. I think you're absolutely right. Look, there's going to be so much turmoil and strife. Many of our contemporaries, our clients, our friends are are going to be decimated by this. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Let's just call it what it is. However, there is always opportunity in downturns. And absolutely. I think to your point, this is a massive opportunity to redefine the way that the industry is positioned, the business model itself. And what you're talking about with the way that you're building leases for brick and mortar is massively important. So do not underestimate it. Ty's email address has been scrolling. Sophie's been all over it. Get a hold of Ty, your attorney, your broker, whatever it is. Are they asking the right questions? It's the number one thing that I can tell you. I don't know what the right questions are for you, but use your intuition and understand these are the, this is a person that actually cares about the outcome. They're not just looking for billable hours or getting their broker fee is a very important thing. And Ty, clearly, I appreciate it. I appreciate the work that you're doing and I think it's important and I think we absolutely need it. We're scared of attorneys in our industry, <laughs> uh, right. for sure, 100%. We don't understand it. We think you charge too much money, all this type of stuff. <laughs> Man, does that investment pay off if you make it thoughtfully. Yep. So Ty, yeah. really appreciate being on. Thanks for all the insights. We have a lot more to talk about on this as yeah. we continue forward. So thank you. Absolutely. All right. Appreciate Ty McKinstry, uh, Vicky and Langer. Uh, we said it all in this episode for sure. Uh, we left it all on the field. There's no real follow-up takeaways that I can give you guys. It's going to be so important for restaurants to understand the position that they're in, the leverage that they have, the questions that they need to ask, and more importantly, also need to be asked of them by the team that they're building. Do not be transactional. Do not try and have vendors anymore in this industry. We did it for way too long. 
You need partners. You need people, humans, and businesses that are invested in you and your success because you also need to invest in them and their success. And the more that that's a two-way street, the more that, that we're trying to find equilibrium in the relationships and the commerce that we're creating, there's an opportunity to win. I absolutely believe it. All right, everybody. Amazing conversation. So grateful to be able to have that. Like I said, a lot of energy and anxiety going through that because I have been on the wrong side of those because I was too passionate, too focused on doing what I knew I could accomplish and not understanding all the impediments that were in the way for sure. So thank you, everybody. Appreciate you. Have a great day. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.